Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Bootleg Football Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Coleman, here with my wonderful co-host, EJ Snyder. And uh, EJ, I'm exhausted. That was that was an emotionally exhausting, transcendently good weekend of football. Might have been the best full weekend of football I've ever seen. And that's saying a lot, because Divisional Sunday, and really Divisional Weekend usually the best weekend of the year in terms of just pure good football games. And even among all the other divisional weekends that we've gotten to enjoy over the years, I don't know if I've ever seen a better one. That was incredible. It was amazing. Whatever superlative you want to use, uh, we as football fans deserved that kind of weekend. And boy, we got it. Yeah, I need a cigarette and I don't even smoke. (laughs) Um, It... (laughs) It does feel like I felt today like I was spent and other people posted that on Twitter. Robert Mays said something about, look, all that adrenaline for for the entire weekend, pretty much. And I'm feeling like let down. I'm feeling like emotionally dishragged. And it was because possibly the finest weekend of football out of the NFL ever. And I, I try not to say ever and never very much because ever's a long time. But we're going to talk about it. Every game came down to the last play. There was tension. There was drama. And, of course, it ramped up. If we'd had the last game first, it would have felt very, very different. But we didn't. We got the last game last, and and we'll talk about that last. But, yeah, it was something, something special. We deserved it. Um, I brought something special in the podcast to celebrate. I've been saving this. I actually showed it to you when I got it, but it's been in my fridge for a while. And it feels like we need to mark the moment, so to speak. So this is uh, a beer in a box. And if it comes in a box, you know it's special. Uh, From Firestone (laughs) Walker, this is their 2021 uh, Mezca Limon Vintage Number 1. It's Mezcal and Orange Bitters Barrel Aged Ale. Brewed with agave nectar, chili, sea salt, and lime peel. Oh my god. That sounds amazing. I know, right? So I didn't think that an <laughs> average, like, I don't know, week 12 recap, nothing, not that nothing great happened in week 12, but I was saving this one for something pretty special, and uh, it feels like this is something pretty special. So it's got a whole bunch of barrel notes on the front of it. Um, 
yeah, the podcast is going to be interesting because it's thirteen five by volume, so it's it's been <laughs> oh, in the barrel Jesus a bit. Christ. It's only twelve ounces of saving grace. It's not like a twenty two ounce. <laughs> um, but yeah, bottled last year, uh, obviously has some really interesting flavor notes in it. But Firestone Walker does a bunch of these. I've got three or four other types, but this is the one I've really been wanting. And since we got that game this weekend, which a lot of people tabbed before it happened as, you know, we'll just call it the Super Bowl and whatever happens after that. And that was kind of joking before that game. And now that we've had that game, that was pretty much dead on. So we'll get into that. But what do you have to wash this wonderful episode down with? I mean, I thought I had the good stuff this week, but I think you might have me beat. Uh, this is a wheat whiskey from Drift. Hold up the camera there. Uh, this is a, uh, a little micro distillery in my neck of the woods. Uh, they are they're run by a, a family of Chiefs fans from Kansas, uh, just outside the border. So I was commemorating the Chiefs on their uh, definitely controversy-free win. Uh, uh, no, no debates about it at all infecting sports media today. Uh, but no, it's uh, congratulations to them. They're a bunch of diehard Chiefs fans. They own a farm in Kansas uh, that sends their wheat uh, out to Southern California, where they make a damn fine wheat whiskey. So shout out to all you people over at Drift Distillery. Uh, why don't we get into news and notes here before we dive into our divisional round recap? Number one, we did want to let people know that we are heading to the Shrine Bowl this week. I think I'm getting there on Thursday and EJ's getting there on Friday uh, to get ready for practices that start on Saturday and go until Tuesday. And then the game's on Thursday. And there's also conference championship weekend during that. So we're going to be watching those uh, those games over at Caesars, I believe. And then, uh, you know, I'm doing some film room episodes from there. I'm, I'm going to be in Vegas for like 10 days. I think, EJ, you're going to be there for eight. So we're just going to be all nice and jaded by the end of it. But uh, we're going to be giving or really we're going to be putting out uh, a lot of draft content while we're out there. A lot of podcasts, practice recaps covering both Shrine Bowl and Senior Bowl. Uh, we're going to be putting out a whole bunch of stuff on the uh, Bootleg Football Clips channel, you know, because we had the Shrine Bowl roster reveal with our buddy Eric Galco, who's the director of the Shrine Bowl. So we're putting those uh, from the roster reveal special out on the Clips channel this week. But a lot, a lot, a lot of content coming your way probably in the next two weeks or so as we kind of transfer from real football to uh, future football, so to speak. So keep an eye out for that. Uh, second news and note here, want to thank Grant, Pax, and Jacob who joined the Patreon this week. Thank you, thank you, thank you to all of you for supporting us. Remember, you get your 20% off merch discount as a patron of Bootleg Football, so you can check out the merch shop for that if you're so inclined. And then in terms of, quote-unquote, news news, uh, we have a new general manager in the NFL. Joe Shane was hired uh, by, by the New York Giants. I know it's spelled like shown, but it's pronounced Shane. Uh, you know, unfortunately for him, coming off a very disappointing loss with the Buffalo Bills, where he was the assistant GM under Brandon Bean. But he uh, he played an instrumental role in putting together that juggernaut of a Bills team in the first place. And uh, when you look at how the Bills are constructed, they've done pretty much everything well. They've drafted in the trenches well. They've had really good uh, free agency pickups with Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer. They've hit on defensive players. They've hit on offensive players. They hit on quarterback. They hit on coaching hires. So uh, the Shane hire in, in, in New York, I think, is actually great for them because I think that was one of the most well-run front offices in the entire NFL. And if at least a little bit of that Bills rebuild magic rubs off on the Giants, who knows? I think they could be in pretty good shape here. 
Yeah, and it gives them the inside track to the Brian Dable hire. He was, uh, I don't want to say approved, but slated for his second interview. Uh, one of the callbacks for the Giants in the head coaching search. Uh, good news for Giants fans. As soon as they hired Joe Shane, the first thing they announced is that he would immediately take over the head coaching search. That's really the way it probably should be done. That's an opinion piece. But uh, if a GM and a coach don't get along, especially if you foist a GM on a coach, it's not going to work very well if you hire the coach first. So the idea that Shane was hired, given the keys, carte blanche, and said, go find who we need to make this work. Obviously, he knows Dable very well from their time together in Buffalo. Dable's a pretty hot commodity after the game that happened this weekend, but really his work over the last couple of years with the Bills, bringing them to offensive prominence. If that happens, if Shane and Dable, with a lot of shorthand sort of already under the bridge, become the new brain trust of the Giants, things are looking way, way up. I would I would have the arrow pointing strongly up despite some challenges in New York because that is a solid foundation for the really, we'll call it what it is, the rebuild the Giants need to undertake. I will say that this, this hire felt very much like a we also want Brian Dable we want that package deal. That's what it kind of felt like to me. You know, people are still bringing up, uh, you know, the possibility of Brian Flores. He's from the area. Um, you know, seems to be a very highly respected defensive coach. The 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 firing situation around Miami is still a little bit murky. We're still not entirely sure what was going on there. It seemed like there were a lot of frustrations between him and Tua, and their relationship was just not tenable at all, and so they chose Tua over Flores. I'm very much watering down that story, but that's kind of kind of what people are saying. is It was more about personal conflicts within the building between quarterback and coach and front office and Who's to say that would even carry over to the Giants whatsoever? We don't know. Uh, but it does seem like the hiring of Shane is very much like a, hey, we need a guy to come in and rescue our young quarterback and kind of turn his career around. And people saw, you know, what Brian Dable did to, to help Josh Allen develop into what he is now. And I will say if they get Dable and he brings Dorsey as his offensive coordinator, I'd feel really good about that for Daniel Jones obviously can't guarantee that he would suddenly become you know what they hoped they were getting with the sixth overall pick but I would really like to see Dorsey go wherever Dable goes because I think Dorsey is is kind of one of the the secret sauce there so to speak in terms of QB development but yeah it kind of feels like they're just trying to poach all the bills they can get here yeah, Josh disagrees with you. During a press conference today, Josh Allen uh, basically threw his full support behind Dorsey and said, look, we, we know that Brian may leave. He had interviews last year. We were lucky that he stayed, and that's true. They were um, probably good for both parties, got the Bills you know, deep into the playoffs, and Dable another year worth of seasoning, which will probably be very beneficial when he becomes a head coach, most likely within the next couple of weeks. But Josh at his press conference said, and if that happens, I want Dorsey to be the OC. Because he knows how valuable Dorsey is. He absolutely <laughs> and <so> does. does. <laughs> and honestly, if I'm Dorsey and I'm in a building and I like what's going on, I like the head coach. I certainly like the amount of success my team has had over the past couple of years. And I look at the landscape and I say, I got Josh Allen and this foundation of the roster here. I got Daniel Jones for one year and then 
I don't know what I have. And the rest of the things that go with the Giants that are sort of requiring that reload, rebuild. If I'm Kent Dorsey, I probably keep my home in Western New York and say, I'm going to keep working with the transcendent God that just put up, you know, 30 points and 10 straight touchdowns on drives. Um, it, I don't think you get those chances sometimes ever, certainly not very often. He would have to really want to sort of chart his own course and and sort of prove that it was him to move away from that situation or the giants just throw an unbelievable amount of money at him that always works it doesn't always come fix come fix danny it works a lot uh so you know we'll see we don't know but boy if your chance if you're a quarterback whisperer guru developer you get a chance to both get a promotion and keep working with josh allen I, I don't disagree. I don't disagree. If I was Dorsey, I'd probably stay in Buffalo too. Just objectively speaking, seems like a, a much more tenable situation for career advancement. But hey, that's just me. Uh, why don't we get to divisional round reactions here? Because we talked about it at the top of the show. Absolutely ridiculous, ridiculous slate of games this weekend. Arguably the greatest divisional round ever in NFL history. And that's saying a lot. We've had dozens upon dozens upon dozens of them uh, under the current format this one was was something else I mean I, I think one of my one of my previous favorite weekends of football ever I want to say it was the 2011 or 2012 divisional round ironically when the 49ers were also making that run you remember that that Saints 49ers game I think it was 2011 with that crazy good Vic Fangio defense where you got four all-pro linebackers going up against like Sean Payton's offense in its prime, and you got uh, Dante Whitner and Pierre Thomas just absolutely beating the snot out of each other, and you got Bowman and Willis, and uh, you know I think you still had Marcus Colston. Like, it was an amazing, amazing game that came down to the last play. I think Vernon Davis caught the game winner. That was one of the best games I've ever seen. All four of the games this weekend were just as close as that one. They all came down to literally the last play, including the 49ers game, for irony's sake. It was amazing. It was, it was. I don't even think like cathartic is the right word because it, it, it was both tense and, and relieving at the same time, you know, <laughs> because it just felt like, like this felt like a weekend where the entire season had built up to this and just it crescendoed into this weekend of football and it felt like a payoff. Like it felt like one of those like season finales of like lost or something back in the day where all the pieces came together and it just, it was phenomenal. And so we're going to start with that bills and chiefs game because what else could we start with? The Ascension. We're going to talk about narrative here. The Ascension of the Josh Allen versus Patrick Mahomes rivalry. And I know there's going to be people that say, oh, it's not a rivalry yet. The Bills got to win first. I don't give a fuck. This is a rivalry. These are two of the most talented quarterbacks we've ever seen going blow for blow. I mean, just fucking haymakers the entire game long, making ridiculous throws on each side, 25 points in the last two minutes. The ascension of this rivalry to maybe being another Brady-Manning caliber rivalry in the AFC in terms of just 
unbelievable quarterbacks that you know are going to face each other in the playoffs. They're coming off an AFC championship battle last year that the Chiefs also won. That one was not as competitive as this one. And then the divisional round, or and then you know the Bills get them back by blowing them out in the regular season, and the Chiefs face them again in the divisional round this year. Like this, this I think could be another one, another legendary rivalry between two great young quarterbacks. And what else can you say about it? I mean, it was quarterback clinic doesn't even do it justice. This was a quarterback work of art. Like hang that game in a museum. What else can you say? It was it was beyond comprehension and I think uh I think we're all better human beings for experiencing it (laughs) oh yeah I wouldn't say that's selling it short uh (laughs) I put out a tweet last night that said the other major American sports leagues right now and it was a guy just beating the shit out of his computer because how do you compete with that from an entertainment perspective as a weekend as a game with that game being the capper that all the other games built to it's kind of like first game of the weekend saturday you know midday for us on the west coast um you know you're like oh that was a good game like that all right that was really competitive like came down to the final kick like you know kicker they drafted it's not all that often that kickers get drafted but kicker they drafted came up money he's been money all season like beat the one seed at their house like ah, that's a good game like uh, evan mcfearless what they call it. yeah they should <laughs> um i realized last night that he and tommy townsend were at florida at the same time what yep they overlapped at florida for like two years can you imagine really? that special team yeah that wow. special teams unit tommy townsend and evan mcpherson like the kicking thing yeah we got that covered the rest of it we got problems but we got two <laughs> cannons over there we're good um no I, you know so that felt like a really good start but you kind of you look bills and chiefs was in the back of everybody's mind you know as soon as it was set up with the games last week like all right like yep this is gonna be a thing like you got Mahomes, you got Allen, and you talk about that rivalry, and it absolutely is on that level. Um, Mike Golick Jr. put out, yeah, this is another Brady Manning. I don't need to see anything else. Mm-hmm. Like they're there. Like it's it. That's that's the thing for all the people. Who are like, oh, it's not a rivalry yet. Baloney. Uh, you you know take the lead and hand it back to a team with 13 seconds in their house with, you know, going to the conference championship on the line and likely winning it. Let's be honest. The winner of this game is most likely going to win next weekend, not writing the Bengals off completely, but you certainly as favorites. And that's the case with the chiefs. I think they opened as seven and a half point favorites. So it's, that's too, that's too big. Uh, I'm just saying they, yeah, they no, I agree. Favorites. I agree. They're favored. I wouldn't do seven and a half, though. I, I'm just saying. <laughs> like, this was the game that everybody was looking for. And if this game had been 40 to 10, like, there would have been a serious side, no matter how good the rest of the weekend had been. Like, ah, oh, man, I was really hoping that game was, was going to be all right. And honestly, in the first quarter, it looked to me a little bit like the Bills are flat. Well, they're tight more than anything. Josh mm-hmm. didn't look relaxed the chiefs did and there was a couple of those early tipping points where you felt like mm, look the bills got a counter punch here i'm not going to say it's a must-have drive or must score points but i kind of am and i realize it's the first quarter but if you let the chiefs get out to a 17 point lead a 20 point lead 
at their house. It was absolutely rocking at Arrowhead. Um, it just felt like if they don't counterpunch right here, like if they don't get loose and start doing what they did against the Patriots the week before, uh, you know, you have to. And they did. Well, not only did they, it was 75-yard touchdown to Gabe Davis. Like, yeah. Because I, I had that exact same thought. I was like, they need something here and they need it right now. And like literally right when I was, I was in the middle of writing the tweet of like, Bills need to score right now or this is going to get out of hand. Before I could even finish the sentence, Gabe Davis was running 75 yards down the field. And I was okay, like, I'm going to ask you, go. you a question about just that, because our experience watching the game might be a little bit different than, than some of the listeners and what and viewers experience. Like we're watching these games and we're live tweeting them. So there's always this balance that you develop of like eye discipline of like, okay, I'm looking down at my phone or my computer or whatever. And then I'm looking up for the play. And how many times during just this game, were you in the middle of writing something about something amazing that happened when you looked up and something else more amazing happened. My backspace key got a lot of work in this game. I'll tell you that much. I, I, I couldn't keep put up. out both, right? And it's like, <laughs> that was a great play. And then that was a great play. And oh, now I got to keep that in mind and keep watching the game in real time. It probably happened eight times. And I'm talking about like, wow, jaw dropping plays what you would consider game changing in a normal game, momentum swinging in a normal game where you were like, that was a minute. And you look up and you're like, Oh, who did? Oh, okay. I'm going to have to write about that after I finish this and get it out with no typos. Like it was just, it was like watching tennis on a football field in terms of not point to point, but literally hit to hit in tennis. Cause there were so many impact plays in a row that just, defied description on all accounts we talk a lot about Mahomes and Allen obviously but Gabe Davis had that game of his life oh and my people God. are gonna forget about that and it's wrong they shouldn't he ascended right along with Josh Allen and there were so many game-changing plays on both sides just an all-time classic I I put out the thought today that just savor this one i actually pulled my family down into the cave to watch the game they don't watch a ton of football dad watches plenty of football they don't they don't partake all that much kids will sit and watch a quarter with me and then like that's nice dad that's cool i like it tell me what happens and they leave my wife wandered in and i was like you should probably sit down (laughs) like i just poured myself my first drink of the entire day. And I was like, Nope, I'm going to enjoy this. This is, this is it. This is what we've been building towards. We've had three incredible quarters, three games before this. This is it. This is all the noise for all the marbles. And she was like, yeah. yeah. And she was looking, she was sitting in this chair, kind of talking to me. And then she kind of stopped talking and was watching the game. And then she was like, Oh, <laughs> I was like, <laughs> she's hooked. And the kids heard a scream at one of the touchdowns, one of the counterpoint touchdowns. <laughs> And which one <laughs> yeah exactly and so my daughter runs in she's like i heard you scream and i was like sit down kiddo she's like what i was like you're gonna want to remember this you know she's eight <laughs> and then all three of us screamed at the next one the next counterpunch. and then my son came running in he's 10 he's like what i was like sit down and you know we're all watching the last seven or eight minutes of just like you said haymakers back and forth and the you know the stadium going absolutely bananas 
it was something special. You could watch. I, I've watched a lot of football in my time. I watched many games over many years. I think I'm going to have to be content with the fact that I might never see another one like that. And and that's even if I have a very long life. Like that's, <laughs> Until the next time they play against each other. It's true, and I hope that's the case. I hope we get 10 more of these. You know, Somebody, <laughs> Mina Kimes said, scrap the rest of the playoffs, make it best out of three for the Super Bowl. And I don't think oh, anybody yeah. would argue. No. Like, this was a very special game. And if, if you're young, like my kids are, you have no idea. If you're a Chiefs fan and you're 15 years old, you're in middle school, and all you've, you know, last four years since you were 11, you've gone to the AFC Championship, like, every game. Like, you know, every year. You don't care. Like, you think it's just normal. Like, this was still super-duper special and rare. Like, you could go another 20 years and not see something like this that just had all of the elements for all the marbles. It was a very, very special game. And you know who made the best defensive play of the entire day? <laughs> Stephon Diggs. Stephon Diggs. <laughs> uh, uh, for people that are either listening to the podcast or, or you know, haven't, haven't seen it on video, uh, a fan, right before the 4th and 13, which was a ridiculous play, by the way, right before that, a fan rushed the field and was going for the ball. He was going to take the ball. And and Stephon Diggs saw that he was like literally running for the ball and so just went and put a shoulder to the guy, fucking decleated him, like classic Ray Lewis into your ribcage type hit. And then, of course, security got there and took away. But that was the best hit of the night. With Stephon Diggs. And I, I love the awareness. I love the awareness because if a fan takes the ball, A, you have to put in a new ball, one that maybe Josh isn't used to the grip. You know, maybe the spot gets shifted a little bit here and there. Like, you got to protect that ball. You cannot let somebody disturb it. So, good on him. Loved yeah, it. If it had been a chief, you know, I, I think about the uh, the old NFL ads. You must protect this house, right? <laughs> um, and Stephon Diggs protected that ball for his quarterback. Uh, it, it, yeah, there were just so many scenes. I, I all day I've been. They've just sort of been flashing through my mind. And it, it's not even you know all game shots or all plays that were exceptional. It's the crowd shots. It's the fireworks. It's the noise. It's, you know, plays that didn't get made that were, and there were very few of those because so many got made, but just random stuff has been going through my mind from this game more than even any of the others, which we'll talk about. But again, just indelible it 10 years from now, you're going to remember, you're going to be like, remember that? Remember that AFC game? It wasn't even the championship. It was a divisional round. Oh yeah, it was a divisional round. That's right. Well, we do need to talk about one thing that I think is also going to be a lasting uh, oh. lasting discussion point from this game. That's overtime rules. <laughs> because I, and I agree with this notion, by the way. I Well, to a, to a degree. <laughs> Some people said that it ruined the game or spoiled the game, whatever. I don't think it spoiled the game. I don't think it ruined the game. But I do think that with as hot as Josh Allen was, it's a little bit annoying that he didn't get a chance. Actually, not even a little bit. A lot of bit annoying that he didn't get a chance. And I know there's going to be Chiefs fans saying, where was all this energy for 2018 when they didn't get a chance against you know Tom Brady? I said the same thing back then. You know, Mahomes was ridiculous in 2018. He was must-see TV. Still one of the greatest quarterback seasons I've ever seen in my life. I wanted Mahomes to get another chance that year. 
you know, because they mounted a furious comeback. And again, coin flip, you give it to Brady. Their defense was terrible that year because I think they, uh, was that still Bob Sutton? I think it was still Bob Sutton was the DC in his last year there before they brought in Spags. Like I, I wanted Mahomes to have a chance at that time. And I wanted Josh Allen to have a chance this time. There's an argument that, that people are saying of like, well, just play defense and you get the ball back. Okay. Both teams should have to play defense. Why does only one team have to play defense and offense to win the game while the other one just has to be good on offense? Like what's, where's, where's the, where's the disconnect here? If, if it's a team game and you want to measure who is the best football team, all 22 guys out on the field, why is only one of them having to play defense? Make them both do it. Make them both get a stop when they're completely gassed against an MVP caliber quarterback. Make both defenses earn it, not just one. Because I guarantee you, Josh Allen would have scored two. And okay, so we have to bring him out again for two more series. I don't give a shit. <laughs> They'll get a stop eventually, but don't just give them one drive when they're completely exhausted. And yeah. I'm not even saying do the college thing either because the college mm-hmm. rules have their own flaws, but at least make them both have to do it. Yeah, this one turned for me today. This this is odd, but this one clicked in for me today and it, it wasn't the point you're making. So before this, I you know, I was on the bandwagon of like, hey, the rules are fine. And, you know, yeah, get a stop. And I'm with you that both both teams should have to get a stop but i was kind of i wasn't i wouldn't say strongly if you have a slider right i wasn't strongly that hey the rules are great and it's a team game and if you can't get a stop you shouldn't that that's not where i was but i was like you know yeah get a stop and whatever today i got hit with sort of that one thought that changes your mind and i'm one of those people that will change my mind regardless of how deeply I'm entrenched if new information is presented. And new information popped into my brain today. It's not new information to the league. I knew it before. It's a new way of seeing the same information for me. There's a fundamental assumption for all those people that say, just play defense, just get a stop, right? It's a team game. You got to do that, right? The fundamental assumption is that that's a level playing field. <laughs> And it's not. not. No. It's not. The league has worked very hard over the past five to ten years to tilt the field towards offense because they like points. And there's nothing wrong with that. This is not a value judgment. I want defensive slugfests. None of that. The fact of the matter is the NFL has worked extremely hard to make it easy to play offense. Offensive holding has been deprioritized. You cannot sniff a quarterback, well, a veteran quarterback. You could beat the hell out of a rookie, but you cannot touch a veteran quarterback without a roughing call. We've seen some incredibly slight touches of a quarterback be called 15 yards and extend drives. Defensive pass interference rules obviously (laughs) favor the offense. Uh, This year, the new one is uh, smaller players can't cut an offensive lineman on outside runs. Mm-hmm. What are you supposed to do? That clearly favors the offense. Like, try and find me a rule that favors the defense that's been instituted over the last five years. And the answer is you can't. There's not one. There's not a single rule that favors the defense that's been instituted. So well, the even the one they put in, like ball carrier lowering the crown of the helmet, they don't even call that one. They never so, call that. <laughs> so what's the point? So the idea of, well, it's a fair fight, just do your part. It's not a fair fight. The the cards are stacked 
in favor of the offense. So only giving them one possession means whoever wins that coin flip most likely wins a game because you have created a set of rules that teams have responded to in personnel and coaching to say, we got to maximize offense for points. They're letting us do this. They're letting us hold pass rushers. They're not letting them hit our quarterback. They're letting our receivers run free after five yards with almost no contact downfield. Like they want us to score points. So teams like the Rams and the Chiefs and the Bills and the Bucks have all rallied around the idea of, Let's go. Let's light it up on offense. And they're right. And I would say that tilt is easily 60-40, might be as much as 70-30. So the fact is, if you win the coin toss, your chances to win, if you receive, are way higher. Like 10 to 1 in the playoffs. If you win the coin toss, you win the overtime playoff game. It's not quite as tilted in the regular season, but it's still tilted towards the offense. So that fundamental assumption of, hey, it's a fair fight, is wrong. And that's where I changed my mind to give them both a shot. And the byproduct that the NFL would get from that is, frankly, what they want. More commercial breaks. More commercial breaks. Mm -hmm. More eyeballs on the game for longer. More downs that fans can talk about on social media and every other platform. Bet on you name it. The NFL that, just gets that's, more. That's live bets. That's the key. That's the, the sway. Like, literally, the NFL just wants more of all of it. They're the classic M-O-A-R. More. Give me more TV time, more ads, more betting, more social media exposure. And those rules would make it so everyone, including the fans, got more. So it's not. it's a win-win for them. And it helps balance out the rule set, which is absolutely staggered towards the offense. I mean, even in the regular season where there's a much larger sample size of overtime games, if you lose the coin toss in the regular season, you still only win 40% of the time. Correct. So it's it's not like, you know, people are saying, oh, it's a 52% win rate. You know, if you win the coin, that's not that bad. It's like, okay, well, you also factoring in ties there. And an overtime game between the Lions and the Steelers that can't score even if their mother's life depended on it is a lot different than an overtime game between Josh Allen and Patrick Holmes. It's not comparable. And when you also include ties, again, it's a 40% win rate if you lose the coin toss. So it's a bad rule. It's just a bad rule. Make both teams play defense. It's It shouldn't be that hard. And then once they both get a, a, a possession, if they're still tied, you do it again. And then you just flip-flop who gets the first possession. And then you do it again and again and again. You know, it, it, you you can still do the 10-minute quarter if you want to. And in the regular season, it can still result in a tie. But in the playoffs, you go until somebody wins. Mm-hmm. Well, you have to. Yeah. Eventually, they're going to get a stop or a pick or a fumble or something. Well, you got to send somebody on. That's the difference between the regular season and the postseason. Postseason, you got to send somebody on. Somebody's got to win. Here's my analogy. You just fought a three-round exhibition against some other dude. And he won the first one, and you won the second round, and you split the third round. And everybody goes, okay, well, there's no decision. We're we're not going to call it a draw. You guys want to keep fighting? And they're like, hell yeah, we have to keep fighting. Somebody has to go on to play next week. And they go, okay, cool. We're going to flip a coin. And the loser gets one arm tied behind their back. Let's go. That's that's a perfect analogy. And you're like, 
wait, that uh, we were doing a thing and we were both doing a thing equally. And now you say if I lose a coin toss, I got to fight this guy one handed, even though we just split like three rounds right down the middle. And the ref goes, yeah, what's your problem? And you're like, uh, I'm I'm likely going to get my ass kicked. That's my problem. (laughs) And 10 to one. In the playoffs, if you get your arm tied behind your back, you're going to get your ass kicked because that's the way the rules are set up. Uh-huh. God, that's that's actually perfect. I could not explain it any better than that. So, I don't know. It's it's a great game. Again, it wasn't spoiled. It wasn't mired. It wasn't ruined. No. But no, I, look, I do think this game was a wake-up for, call. Yeah, it's a great win for the Chiefs. Like, this is not anti-Chiefs or we just needed the Bills or anything else. It's... This was one of the greatest games of all time. And we don't have stake in the game. Like, yes, my my family's from Buffalo. I love the Bills, but I also love what the Chiefs have built. They are a very fun team to watch. And they are one of the best stories in the NFL this year. Their turnaround, absolutely, hands down, one of the best stories in the NFL. I didn't really care who won. I wanted to see more football. And I would like it to be fair for both teams. Do I feel bad for Buffalo? Horrible. Horrible. Josh Allen and Brian Dable and Ken Dorsey and Gabe Davis. The offense played the lights out. The defense played really hard, too. But we'd be remiss if we didn't say that Leslie Frazier possibly screwed. Well, not possibly. Did screw the city of Buffalo. Possibly? (laughs) No, did. Did. Like, on the last two plays, the one in particular, 13 seconds left, the ch- it's a it's a time and distance equation. It it's just this simple, folks. They need distance. They only have so much time. Mahomes has to get the ball out of his hands within about three seconds, and you let one of his two favorite receivers. We talked about the three through six options for the Chiefs. Not one of the three through six options. The even, probably the number one option this year. You know, Tyreek Hill has ascended in the in the postseason, but during the during the regular season, Travis Kelsey caught more balls, won more games for them than Tyreek Hill. So you let their number one option get a free release off the line. And I'm not saying you have to double team him. I'm not saying anything else. I'm saying you take your defensive end, you put him over Travis Kelsey, and you go smack him. Do not let him just leave. And then start your rush because the rush isn't going to get there anyways. He needs to throw very quickly. It's just situational awareness. And they don't. They leave Travis Kelsey a free release. And I'd tweeted out like five minutes earlier, hey, keep giving Travis Kelsey free releases. Fuck around and find <laughs> out. Like Leslie Frazier fucked around and found out. Travis Kelsey, free release. You basically hand them the yards. That's pitch and catch for Mahomes and Kelsey, his de facto number one receiver. That is a horrible choice. Uh, Daniel Jeremiah came out and said so with video. Lewis Riddick came out today and said so. Like, this isn't because they were gassed. It's because they didn't line up the right way and do what they needed to do based on the time and the space they had. So I feel terrible because, look, if you put up 30-plus points in a championship game, that's enough points to win. Like, Josh, Josh Allen's EPA per play was, like, 99th percentile. Like, he had possibly the best game you can have as a quarterback, as a pro in the NFL. And he's going home because the guy on the other side had one too, but his defense let two plays go with 13 seconds left. That's rugged. And I know Leslie Frazier is a former Bear, was part of the 85 championship team. I know he had that defense running 
very well, got them into the playoffs this year. You can't overlook it. It was a terrible mistake, and it cost that team a chance to move on. Hell, it might have cost them a Super Bowl because if they if they win that game. I would favor them against the Bengals for sure, and then we'd see about who comes from the NFC, but I would they have, I would say, at best an even chance to win the Super Bowl. Why don't we talk about the Bengals? Because we have kind of, we should. Uh, we we have kind of alluded to the fact that uh, we, I I do not want it to come off like we think that there's some sort of like second class citizen in the AFC. Mm-mm. They've already beat the Chiefs this year. They've already done it. Now, the Bills also beat the Chiefs and lost the second time around. So can they beat them twice? That's the operative question here. But you know, th- this is not some second rate team. Joe Burrow is phenomenal. Um, Jamar Chase is otherworldly. T. Higgins, Mixon, uh, some of their defensive pieces, Bates, Reader, all like this is this is a squad. This is a squad. And to be honest, I'm loving that they're in the AFC Championship because even you and I thought, yeah, maybe fourth in the division this year. They're building. They're like another year away. <laughs> That's what you like thought. A, well, <laughs> at least me. At least me. Again, I did not think they were going to be bad, but I was like, okay, th- yeah. they're, they're, they're on the way be, up. To be fair, they're better than I thought, too. I'm just giving Brett a little garbage because he picked them to finish last, and I was like, I don't think they're going to finish last, but I did not think they would finish first. I didn't think they'd be bad, though. I just thought the AFC North was really good. We both agreed that that was a slugfest, but let's agree that the Bengals are a year early. Oh, and yeah. That's, and that's awesome. Like, that it's is great. great for Cincinnati. It's great for Joe Burrow. Like, this is a incredibly complete team, except for the offensive line. <laughs> well, that's the thing, is they gave up nine sacks in this game, and I went back and I charted all of them today because I wanted to see, like, how 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 this happened. Like, what the, what the hell? Uh-huh. Um, not a lot of blitzes, a lot of early down sacks, uh, you know, four-man rushes where they just they run a game and the offensive line can't pick it up. Um, they did a good job of... You know, showing pressure with linebackers just to make sure that Jeffrey Simmons was one-on-one with Akeem Adeniji, who could not handle him at all. Um, you know, Harold Landry busted through for a sack on a blown protection where just nobody picked him up. It, it, it's not like there was any one problem. There was a lot of different problems, but it, it they weren't like blitzing Burrow to death either. They were just getting home with four in a variety of ways. And the Cincy offensive line is so terrible at communication, they just couldn't pick anything up. They were bad. So nine, nine sacks, horrendous. Uh, tied the record, I think. Either tied or came very close to it. Uh, no, I think it tied, not broke, but tied. The other thing that is less seen or will be less seen as we get farther away from this game is six penalties. Mm-hmm. So fifteen directly negative plays, not including hurries. Hits, pressures, like we're not even talking about that. We're talking about put Joe Burrow on the ground for registered sacks nine times and jumped six times. Yeah. That's a hell of a hole. The fact that the Bengals won this game, and I will say it very clearly, despite that, like in spite of that, that is that is not typically a performance from your offensive line that you would get a dub out of. The fact that he overcame that 
negative deficit and ended up busting out a one seed at their house is ridiculous. Yeah, and I mean he was he was serial killer Joe that we've seen since LSU where he's under yeah. pressure and you better not miss because if you miss, he's going to get outside the pocket and he's going to find Jamar Chase just like he did in 2019 at LSU. You know who and else it, looked like that this weekend? Who? CEH. Oh, yeah. Uh, he he had some great I know it's going back to the last LSU game. runs. I know. Like, that was like, I saw that on tape. And he's had his struggles with injuries. Uh, most bootleg fans remember our reaction live when he got drafted. The reason we reacted like that is because of last night's game. Because yes. when everything else on the Chiefs is working, and you can go to him to do that, to do the things he did last night, that's why we loved him so much. Not as the number one bell cow, not as the perfect option for that for that offense as a leader, as a complimentary piece. He was just what they needed, and he showed it last night. So, yeah, a lot of former LSU guys having uh, pretty good playoffs here. Yeah, and then, you know, Justin Jefferson, God rest his soul, uh, in Minnesota. <laughs> At least in the playoffs. <laughs> At least in the playoffs. He'll get there one day, maybe. I don't know. Well, we'll he did everything he could. Let's be <laughs> he did his part. But yeah, no, it was it was serial killer Joe. Miss him once, he'll make you pay. Um, and that's he's just so tough, man. He's so tough because he got the absolute shit beat out of him, and he kept getting up. And he he took some low hits, and you saw him wincing in pain. The low been, hit early on. I tweeted about that because I thought he tore something. Right I had PTSD. I had PTSD from that one. I'll just admit, like. I've been a Joe Burrow stan since before he was drafted. All the things you're talking about, the draft coverage, pre-draft coverage we had of him. I was like, no, he's the guy. He's the guy. He's the guy. People were like, I don't know. I was like, no, no, no. He's the guy. So glad he got to Cincinnati and showed, even though he got his knee blown out. No, he showed flashes in his rookie season. Nope, he's the guy. When he gets a couple more tools and a little better protection, he is going to do the exact same thing he did at LSU. He's been doing that. He comes back from a nasty injury. Again, has a subpar offensive line. I will die on the hill. They did not do enough this year. Jackson Carmen not even starting for them. Uh, was was he not? Because it was an injury situation this week. Nope. I actually wasn't sure why Adeni. No, nope, he came in as the sixth. Jackson Carmen is not a starter for them. So, anyways, That's weird. Regardless, the Bengals. <laughs> I think we can all agree. Did not do enough. Whether you watch the tape, look at the stats, I don't care what you do. They didn't do enough on the offensive line. Joe still does that. The NFL and the Bengals, quite frankly, are really lucky that that low hit early on Joe Burrow didn't take him out. Because it very well could have. He got hit in the side of the knee. It was not a good-looking hit. And I tweeted something out that said, I don't understand why the NFL is okay with people hitting Joe Burrow low. Like, and people said, oh, well, he's a rookie and blah, blah, blah. It's, it's called differently. I understand that. I've seen quarterbacks literally have a hand brush across their helmet, not even make significant contact, brush across their helmet and get a 15-yard penalty. We have guys on a dead ball piling into the side of Joe Burrow's knee and everybody's like, oh, yeah, that's cool. Like, I don't understand that from everything we talked about, all the skewing of the rules to the offensive side. There's a reason. We want these quarterbacks protected. All of us do. The NFL does. Fans do. We don't want to see 
backup quarterbacks going at it in the divisional round, third string quarterbacks going at it in the divisional round. We want Joe Burrow. We want Patrick Mahomes. We want Josh Allen, right? And the NFL is like, it's okay. You can pile into Joe Burrow's legs for what reason? Like, <laughs> I just don't get that. And they don't throw the flag. There's so many other quarterbacks and every fan of every team can talk about it this year where you get near another quarterback and there is a flurry i mean a blizzard of yellow flags right you pile into joe burrow's knee on a dead ball and everybody's like ah whatever who cares just don't get it i think it's because it happens so often you get you get kind of <laughs> used to it right oh that's terrible it's accurate but it's terrible yeah, uh, i don't know the offensive line was just bad and again i don't i don't know why carmen isn't starting because akim adenaji has allowed in just the two playoff games, he's allowed half the total pressures that Carmen's allowed all year. So what the hell? Like what's yeah. let me, <laughs> what's what's the thought process here? Let me give Cincinnati a bit of a pointer. Keep, well, anybody, Jeffrey Simmons one on one is a bad idea. Like You're he, not wrong. He's a guy, not unlike Aaron Donald, that if you don't have a plan for him, and I mean more than, hey, buddy. You ought to be able to block him straight up. That's not a plan. If you don't have a plan for him, he's going to wreck your day. He is that talented a defensive lineman. We've been singing his praises for some time, saying he's unheralded. Like, Akeem Adenogy? Fine player. Made the NFL. One-on-one with Jeffrey Simmons? Good luck. Like, yeah. And they kept doing it. The obstinance, the absolute obstinance of saying, oh, we got it. Oh, yeah, what's your plan? Oh, we're going to put a key on him one-on-one. Really? That's your plan? Have you not seen the three that he didn't handle? Like, have you not seen Joe either running for his life or getting smashed? And they're like, no, we're just going to keep doing that. Like, the absolute insistence that that was going to work, again, no idea. It's the one weakness that this team has that makes me not doubt, but nervous about their ability to compete with kansas city because i think they're going to do the same thing with chris jones if yeah if you look at jones single up and go jones and ingram against this line like just those guys and jaron reed had a big play in the game against buffalo like frank clark's had some good yeah frank clark had a couple of great stops so you look at those four let's just call that the starting four against the bengals line it is hard to vote bengals i know their offense is amazing I know Joe Burrow's a killer. I know he has ice in his veins, and he is as cool as it comes. Did you see his post-game presser? Dude, that dude doesn't give a fuck. People were like, how do you feel? And he was like, I feel great. He said, tomorrow might be a different story, but right now, (laughs) I feel great. And I'm like, dude, you just got the hell beat out of you on national TV. He's all business, dude. And that's the thing. Every time they win, he's like, yeah, I don't care. We, we We haven't won a Super Bowl yet. I don't care. Yeah, next right i got next like i love that but the chiefs defensive line against that we'll just call it what it is a patchwork offensive line that has not held up very well this year is concerning is a very diplomatic way to say it now in the bengals favor one of the things we talked about last show was watch dj reader because as DJ reader goes this defense will go and if he has a good day against this interior line from the titans and they stopped Derrick Henry because of what DJ Reader can do inside. 
because zone runs are almost entirely reliant on the battle between center guard and, and nose. If DJ Reader is winning, Derrick Henry will struggle. And when Derrick Henry struggles, the offense will struggle. Well, guess what happened? DJ Reader ate multiple tackles for loss, just completely demolished the line of scrimmage. Him and Tyler Shelvin, by the way, when they were lined up right next to each other, you could not move those guys. It was hilarious. Just so much beef. And, you know, Derrick Henry couldn't go anywhere. And not that Derrick Henry looked a step slow. Like, he looked like Derrick Henry. But, again, from a schematic perspective, if you can't handle anything on the interior between Shelvin and Reader right next to each other, and you can't... How do I, how do I describe this without using diagrams? I'm so used to using diagrams. But that, that <laughs> guard-center-guard trio, if you can't handle anything within like that little box whether it's one guy or two guys, and they force you to cut early on a zone run game, you're not going to go anywhere. And they couldn't handle those two guys. And so Henry had to cut early over and over and over again, and they couldn't go anywhere. He had like 20 carries for 60 yards. And when you take that element away from the Titans offense and you put it all on Ryan Tannehill, we've seen multiple times this year, it kind of fell apart on him. And the picks were not entirely his fault for all of them, but still not great and they just uh, it was pretty much aj brown and 10 other dudes like that was their offense and i'm sorry that's just not enough it's it's not enough well it's not enough against uh especially a cincinnati defense we talk so much about their offense and how much having jamar chase and that explosive element that ability to do exactly what we saw in the bills chiefs game counter punch when you get down to not be like worried about it to say no problem i can get the points we talk so much about their offense and we should incredible talent on their offense but their defense played lights out and that's not something i anticipated they have a lot of dudes on defense especially a bunch of dudes that we like against a good offensive team in the titans that is you know gonna line up and punch you in the mouth their defense from the first play jesse bates cutting that route picking off the ball first play in the game like and they didn't let up and a couple of guys that, you know, we've been high on for a couple of years that don't have great name recognition in Jermaine Pratt, Logan Wilson, as their linebackers, made plays. For the last two weeks, they have both made play after play after play. Getting out to the edge, Jermaine Pratt coming in heavy on the runs to stop Derrick Henry one-on-one a bunch of times. Like, this defense played. We We love Jesse Bates. We've talked about the guys up front. Trey Hendrickson got a question from one mm-hmm. of our patrons about Trey Hendrickson, and he was like, you were kind of eh, about letting Carlos Dunlap go. And I said, look, the reason we were worried about Carlos Dunlap going isn't because Trey is bad, but because with pass rushers, you need more than one. And we weren't sure about guys like Sam Hubbard. Like we hoped Sam Hubbard would bring something, but we didn't expect what he has brought adding guys like Larry Ogunjobi in the middle, right? Adding guys like DJ Reader in the middle. Like that has balanced it out and made it so the Bengals can maintain pass rush and Trey had a a career year, 14 and a half sacks. Like that's a good thing, but like this defense played low key a lot better than a lot of people outside of, you know, the jungle understand and certainly were a huge part of keeping them in that game like the offense did what we expected it to defense for my money 
played better than I expected him to. It was it was cool. Yeah, I mean, going back to your point, I mean, it wasn't just Dunlap, and Dunlap was fighting with with the organization like they were going to have to trade him anyway. But the the Carl Lawson when they let Lawson go to the Jets and then immediately replaced him with with Hendrickson, that's when I think you and I were like, well, we kind of like Lawson better. They could have just gave that money to him. Like I don't know about that, but he stepped up this year. Trey's been fantastic, and I think well worth the money they invested in him. You know, you look at, and this is nothing against him, but like you look at the the big year he had with the Saints that led to that contract in the first place. Like it was a lot of cleanup sacks. It was a lot of cleanup sacks. But this year in Cincinnati, he was kind of creating sacks on his own. He wasn't just the cleanup guy for, for Cam Jordan and Davenport and, you know, that crazy Saints defensive line. Like he was doing it. He was doing the thing that Carl Lawson did, which was creating pressure and letting everybody else clean up. So I think it was his best year, which how often do you see somebody get a big contract and then immediately have right. their best year? That rarely happens, but he did. So great signing by Cincinnati. Phenomenal job by them, you know, kind of having the faith in him uh, as a player and it paying off. Um, but, you know, you mentioned Bates, who was great. I think the linebackers had a good day. Um, the corners, again, <laughs> it's tough to keep a lid on A.J. Brown the entire game. Mm. So they had some some rough reps here and there, but they didn't get completely demolished. So, again, they did enough. And it was just a, it was a very good team win outside of the offensive line. If the offensive line played even average, this is probably a two-possession win, if not more. Yeah, easily, I would say, because the offensive line played so horribly. It wasn't like, oh, they had a couple breakdowns. Honestly, the greatest day for offensive line typically is when everybody says nothing about them. Yes. Right? They get no attention. Nobody says anything. That That's their highlight, is no highlights. They basically spotted Tennessee touchdown, maybe 10 points. With all those sacks, I mean, sacks are explosive plays for the defense, right? We talk about explosive plays on offense and how important they are to scoring points. You flip it the other way, explosive plays on defense, including sacks, are are a way to keep the other team from scoring points. And the bottom line is point differential. You score more than the opponent, you win more often. That's it. And the offensive line spotted a number one seed at home like, a bunch of points and Joe and the offense were able to overcome it, which is pretty damn impressive. And the defense, you know, gave them a couple of extra possessions and just generally played really well. Tannehill did not play great. I mean, if we're being really honest, he has not looked like last year's version of Tannehill, even though he has, you know, Henry is a major weapon, but he has more weapons receiving than he did last year. Just hasn't he missed some open guys down the field last mm-hmm. year? He he had that burrow like quality. You let somebody go, you let Brown go down the field. He was hitting him, right? He's going to make you pay for that, and he couldn't complete that against a very good defense. And that was the difference in the game. They go home, the Bengals go on and get a chance to try and knock off the Chiefs. Uh, why don't we talk about Rams Buccaneers now? Um, almost. <laughs> Almost yeah. the best game of the weekend. Uh, would have been a legendary comeback, which is ironic because it wouldn't have even been Tom Brady's most legendary comeback in the NFL playoffs, but still would have been up there. You know, down 27-3 to 3 
And then the Rams just kept trying to give this game away. I mean, they got up early and often. They were pressuring Tom Brady like crazy because they were down to their third right tackle at one point. You know, Wirfs, uh, he had a, a two torn ligaments in his ankle. So you have a backup right tackle in Wells, who was also hurt in his own right. Um, you know, Jensen, Jenkins, sorry, not Jenkins. Ryan Jensen was practicing this week, but again, he's not 100%. Like, it was a very banged up team. You got no Godwin, you got no AB. Uh, I think Cyril Grayson was hurt as well. You know, you're just barely getting Leonard Fournette back. Like, it, it was a extremely injured Buccaneers team, and it looked like an extremely injured Buccaneers team in the first half. They were down in a massive hole. Looked like they had no shot. If it was a a fully healthy Buccaneers team, like honestly, it probably would have been a lot closer of a game to begin with because when they're 100%, they're very talented. But they weren't. Injuries happen. What can you do? And then the Rams just kept screwing up with fumbles and turnovers and drops and all manner of inexplicably bad football. And they just cracked that door open. And when you give Tom Brady an inch, he will take a mile. And they almost let him have the game. Until that last play where you hit Cooper Cup on the bomb to set yourself up. It was like 54 or 44 or 54 yards, something like that. It was incredible. An amazing football game in its own right. Uh, I thought the Rams showed a lot of resiliency to not just crumble in the moment and go like, oh God, Tom's got us, we lose, this is fate. Because it's so easy to just think of yourself as a villain in a fairy tale and just accept that you're going to lose. But they didn't. They made a play when they absolutely needed to in order to slam that shut door on a miracle Tom Brady comeback, which he's done a million times. I think they deserve all the credit in the world for that. But also, I really hope Sean McVay is ripping them in the film room this week because they they damn near fumbled this game away in more ways than one. Yeah, this was not the equal of the Buffalo-Kansas City game because it was one team not playing at their absolute apex and letting the other team back in. And as football fans, we want to see them make plays on both sides of the ball, and we do not want to see them make boneheaded plays one after another to the point where you were just going, oh, really? Like, if if people believe the NFL is fixed, and there are those people out there, be a very hard thing to do, by the way. But if there are those <laughs> people out there that believe the NFL is fixed, the second half of this game is their evidence number 1A, right? The Rams did so many things that they didn't do basically all season in a row, pretty much possession after possession in the second half, that it started to feel like, really, do you just want Tom Brady to continue in the playoffs that badly? It, there were several plays in this game that were really uncharacteristic. There was a Jalen Ramsey coverage play on the boundary where it was just, it was like a back shoulder mistimed and Ramsey played it better than the receiver. And I swear to God, the ball goes right in front of him while he's looking at it. He's right in the sidelines. He's inbounds, and he doesn't even, like, put his hands up. Like, the receiver cut basically kind of the wrong way. Tom was expecting him to cut sort of back up the boundary, and he cut back in towards the hashes. So the ball was outside. 
Ramsey was in better position in trail and literally the ball comes across his face mask and he like doesn't even reach for it. I don't think he saw it. I that was my only explanation was he just didn't know the ball was there. The receiver blocked it out. There's a million things. We're not inside the helmet, but like he didn't even put his hands up. And I'm like, how often does that happen? That you give Ramsey a free ball in a game that is win or go home. And he doesn't even reach for it. Like he didn't even react and Cooper cup bumbling and cam acres acres twice twice after having great play. Like it just, it was like, let me roll the baddest scenario, the worst case, and then double it. And that's what the Rams did in the second half. And so they let they let the Bucks back into the game. The Bucks took it to their credit. Tom Brady understands, didn't panic, never has. He's got so much experience in these situations. But I think even he thought, wow, this is pretty unlikely. Like, <laughs> normally teams don't give me this many chances because normally if they do, I beat them. And I had tweeted out at the end of the first half, like, you can't give Tom Brady extra possessions about a small mistake the Rams made. And then they came out in the second half with the cornucopia and just went, here you go. We're just going to throw it out there. Try and beat us. And... That made it a little bit less enjoyable, not less dramatic. It was certainly dramatic for both fan bases. And it really feel like felt like the Rams had done it, right? <laughs> They'd done enough to lose the game. And here you go. You're going to lose the game. We're all going to smack our heads about this. And then the bomb on zero. Bulls call zero. They go deep. And all of a sudden you're like, wait, what? End of the game? They've got, like, they've been pitching it away for an entire half and all of a sudden here they are that wait they can kick and win like it's gonna by the way (laughs) i i have found it fascinating speaking of that zero call from bulls i found it fascinating the defensive criticism that we're seeing on one side with leslie frazier where you're playing Mm -hmm. super soft and you're just letting them have yards versus the opposite end of the spectrum with bulls i did not have an issue with the call by the way The reason why he called zero is so that they wouldn't get free yards. You make them check check it down, and so you can rally and tackle. Like That's the point of calling zero in that scenario. It's why you do it, is to force a quick throw because you don't want them to get chunks. But the thing with Stafford is he don't care. He'll retreat in the pocket against pressure, and they got two guys free, and he's got such an arm that he'll just heave it and he'll lead it because he knows you're not expecting that throw to go deep. And it was on Antoine Winfield to play that from the top down. Antoine Winfield, being the young player that he is, might not have as much experience against a quarterback like Stafford with that kind of arm, let alone a receiver like up. And he, I honestly don't think Winfield believed that he was going to throw it deep against zero because who the fuck throws deep against zero in that scenario? And so he just let Cup go because I think he thought he was going to snap off the route. And so he let him go. And then you saw it like you saw the panic pump as soon as Cup was going. He's like, oh, shit. Oh, shit. Well, oh, he shit. Please overthrow it. it. Yeah. He well, had him. He had he him for the first short. second and a half, which is textbook zero. Yeah. You have a second and a half. If I cover for a second and a half, there's that clock in the defender's heads, too. Right. That you only need to cover for the first two seconds because he's going to be on the ground or running for his life out of bounds after that. 
And so for a second and a half, Winfield was like in phase and then he flat footed it. He pulled up and he thought, yeah, there's no way that guy can heave it off his back foot like 60 yards. Oh, no. (laughs) And he got beat by a guy that just won the Triple Crown. Like that's what makes these playoffs, the divisional round of these playoffs, great, right? Antoine Winfield is a great player. Matthew Stafford is a great player. JPP is a great player. Cooper Cup is a great player. And it's just like, all right, all these great players, let's just throw you in the mix and see what happens every down, down after down for four quarters. And that was all four games this weekend, and that's what made it just killer. I just, I want people to understand that Todd Bowles called zero because he didn't want to be Leslie Frazier. He made a decent call. Now, would I have made zero in that exact scenario? Maybe not, but that's because, again, I don't I don't trust my DBs against Odell <laughs> and Cooper Cup, maybe as much as Todd Bowles does when I'm seeing Jamel Dean get absolutely smoked all day. But objectively speaking, I don't think the process was bad. No. He wanted to force a quick throw, and he got burned, and it happened. So His, his yeah. coin flip was, look, I got... Damakon Sue, I got yeah. Rinka, I got JPP. Like, if he gets the sack, he's a hero. Right? If he gets a sack, game's over. Right. <laughs> and the chances that he gets a sack on that defense with his staff against the Rams in their current scenario, way higher than what happened. The chances for those, you know, stat bad ads of Cooper Cup catching a long touchdown to put them in field goal range are exceptionally low. I would say it's close to single digits. No more than 10%. The chance of a sack, probably 30 or 40%, given his his lineup in that situation. So numbers-wise, absolutely made the right call. Wanted to be aggressive. Didn't want to play prevent defense to prevent himself from winning. Comes down to execution. Great players make plays. His great player didn't. The Rams' great player did, and that's ball game. And that's playoff football, man. 100%. Big-time players make big-time plays and big-time gains. That's the definition of NFL football. And it was a good game because of that. Like, I honestly, I love the game. It was a great game. You know, I was watching it with my brother-in-law. was a Bucks fan. He was a little bit heartbroken. But, I mean, even even he said after the game, like, that was it was, it was an objectively good game to watch. So. I bet it was loud at your house. <laughs> you have no idea. <laughs> at least for no, I do. Half, I've met your brother-in-law, half. which is why I said that. Yeah. We watched a Bucks preseason game with your brother-in-law, and it was loud. And I thought, oh man, playoffs like eleven. That dude loves Buccaneers football like I love oxygen. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. He does. That's awesome. Also makes a mean wing. He's. He I saw some your wings picture. Oh my his god! Wings, and I people, was extremely jealous. Look, people, you got to go look at my Twitter because he it's probably buried down there a little bit now. But so he smoked. Uh, he did a lemon pepper dry rub and smoked the wings, and then finished them in the air fryer, uh, and then did some like garlic parm, and then he did some like toasted garlic buff. Oh my god, they were ridiculous. The dude can cook wings, and even he said uh, that he was happy that he was cooking during. <laughs> during most of that first half because it would have been a lot sadder sadder if he was actually just watching the game but uh yeah i don't know tyler if you're watching this 
Please make me more of those for Super Bowl because they were delicious. Uh, let's get to Packers 49ers. Some people are saying this was the least interesting game of the weekend. I just think it was different. I think it was interesting for different reasons. It was a little bit more of a defensive battle and not even in the mold of like, a oh, the offenses weren't playing well. Like, no, it was just good defensive football. Fred Warner on one foot played out of his damn mind. Um, the corners weren't really asked to play man pretty much ever, but still stepped up and I thought did a decent job in this game in terms of just not letting Devontae Adams walk all over them after the first drive. First drive definitely did. And then after that, they tightened up. Uh, D'Amico Ryan's called a fantastic game. Uh, the defensive line played extraordinarily well. Pretty much the only consistent weapon I felt like the Packers had was kind of Aaron Jones in the quick pass game because he's super slippery in space. But other than that, they couldn't really get anything going after the first drive. And again, it was largely because of how well the 49ers defensive play was playing and um, you know how exceptionally disciplined they are in zone coverage because they're a predominantly zone team. Like, 90 like 85 90 of the time i would say they're playing zone and they're really 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 exceptionally good at it when your middle linebacker is fred warner you you, you better be because he's he's crazy good in zone coverage uh but yeah just a phenomenal defensive game plan and execution by the 49ers defense um i don't know if you want to say it or me but aaron Rodgers, man good lord how many times can you just have ridiculous regular seasons and set all these records and be MVP. And then it gets to January football and it just falls apart. I don't know how to explain it. Like that didn't look like Aaron Rodgers. And this is not, again, this is not me saying that 49ers defense got away with something. I'm just saying he didn't look good. Well, here's the difference in the game. And, and it does, it, it is this particular battle interface, whatever you want to call it. Aaron Rodgers versus the defense and San Francisco defense. If you're feeling particularly motivated, I want you to go back and pull the clip out of our preseason divisional previews. And we talked about the 49ers and we specifically both talked about D'Amico Ryans. Mm -hmm. And we were like, we're interested, like consider us invested we're we really want to see what this guy can do with the defense and we think it's going to be good it's not the train wreck kind of intention we're excited about what he can do and he put on a master class against the packers but lots of people play good defense against the packers it will surprise some people looking at aaron Rodgers' stats that that's the case lots of people come with a plan the plan was not some exotic super one-off mm -mm. the plan was a really good mix and our buddy mark schofield who we've had on the podcast did a great breakdown the morning after on the touchdown wire on usa today where he writes about D'Amico ryan's and what they did specifically on defense go check it out really good resource but it's not special like they played it well they played a combination of bracket. They rotated from single to a somewhat disguised too high, always to Adam's side because Adams is the 
engine that powers that offense. He is the straw that stirs the drink. And folks know that. That's not a surprise. That's Mm -hmm. not like D'Amico had some secret intel. Everybody (laughs) knows that when Rodgers needs something, he goes to Adams, and he usually gets it. So they sold out for the most part. They played about 20 to 30% single coverage, and they got away with it in those shots. The difference is Rodgers not hitting what the defense gave him on a particular play. And as a Bears fan, I am highly aware that 95% of the time, again, during the regular season, if you leave somebody open or you single cover Adams, he will hit them. Like clockwork. Like I would bet my mortgage money on it. And I like this house. (laughs) Right? He couldn't do it in the playoff game for whatever reason. But even in Mark's breakdown where he says, look, here's the bracket. Here's the open guy, right? DeGuara is running the clear out underneath, and he's the guy. And either, I can't say he didn't see him because you've got to imagine that Rodgers dreams this offense at this point. He knew he was there, and he didn't hit him. And if you're against... Any other team, like any NFC North fan was like, what? Yeah. There was an open guy and he didn't hit him. Or they had Adams one-on-one and he didn't thread a perfect pass right past that guy's ear hole into the outstretched hands of Devontae Adams. What's going on? It looked very uncharacteristic for Adams. So credit the 49ers. They played great defense. I think the conditions absolutely had something to do with it. It was technical term here ass cold at lambo <laughs> that field was hard as rock everybody was like oh all four games are being played on grass this weekend which is awesome grass at zero degrees basically temperature kickoff was about 13 the feels like factor was cement. two. yeah yeah it's it doesn't give at all and you saw a ton of injuries a lot of attrition in this game both sides of the ball kittle was banged up offensive lineman for the packers went out defenders after big hits they're you know holding their shoulder going to this was this was a rough condition set to play heavy contact sports in not cool but that hasn't stopped aaron in the past like he is fully familiar with cold weather football at this point he just didn't hit him and it was staggering like that's the difference he was not the serial killer that he is for all these great regular season games which are amazing And to me, it was staggering. Like you said, if you told me before this game that the Packers are going to put up 10 points with Aaron Rodgers healthy, I'd I'd be like, where's the betting window? I'll put folding (laughs) money on that. More than 10 points, I'll take the over no matter what. That's that's the first quarter. (laughs) Right, typically. But Rodgers has to hit the open guy. And he does, like, religiously. And in this game, he suddenly, like, just starts pitching the ball away when he sees double coverage. Well, the one that got me, so uh, I don't know if you remember when he tried to throw that deep post to Adams that was double covered and it went, like, three yards too far or whatever. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was a Dino concept. and if So it's like a deep post and you got... Uh, the deep dig underneath it. So it's like, it's literally the deep post is in And he alert. was wide open. Lazard was, there was nobody within 10 yards of him. Like wide open. And as a, as an NFC North fan, as a Bears fan, like 
10 times out of 10 and twice on Sundays, Rodgers is going to nail that guy right in the chest and smirk and take his 13 yards and a new set of downs. And he's going to do that over and over and over again with like surgical precision. And suddenly, you mentioned it at the top of this, the wheels just fell off. Like he did it all year long with, he had one of the best seasons ever as an NFL quarterback. He's in the running for NFL MVP, and he could win it. Like, he's probably not because of the whole, like, Tom Brady might retire thing, which is pushing votes that way. But he is absolutely legitimately in the top two for best players in the NFL at quarterback, and he didn't look at all like that during the playoff game. And that was the difference. That's the reason the Packers aren't playing this week. Yeah, it's we can blame special teams, which, yes, the Packers had the worst special teams in the league. It was bad. I mean, inexplicably bad. Like, even by their standards, that was terrible. Probably a 10-point swing just off special teams. Theoretically speaking, if the special teams just didn't even make any great plays, but just didn't make any negative plays, Packers, on paper, maybe win this game. Maybe. But I still think that if you have a quarterback that costs as much as Aaron Rodgers, that that gets as lauded as Aaron Rodgers, you should put up more than 10 points you have at to. home as the one seed. Well, first time uh, I looked at uh, somebody looked it up. First time that a kick and a punt have been blocked in the same game since like, it goes way back. It was like 90. It was in, it was in the 90 somethings. Like we're talking a quarter century ago since that happened. And all these people that are like, oh, see, Jimmy G is the answer. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. You watched the wrong game. Like the the 49ers did not score offensive points. They scored points on special teams. They kept the Packers from scoring points on special teams. If you came away from this game thinking, oh, yeah, Jimmy G is the answer after certainly after watching the Sunday night game between KC and Buffalo. I don't know what to tell you, folks. You're you're not a bootleg listener. You have not been paying attention to class. Um, that is that is not the answer. And we can talk about the drops. There were some drops. It's cold. The ball's basically just a giant block of ice. I, yep. I get it. He also had, off the top of my head, three throws that probably should have been picked off. So, yeah, you want to give him three drops. You know, there was the one from Kittle. Like, there probably shouldn't have been a lot more yards in his stat line, but I'll be damned if there shouldn't have been a couple more picks, too. That was, that was like, cardiac stuff. For I feel really bad for 49ers fans with cardiac conditions because, especially in the second half of the game, I mean, even the announcers were like, okay. Oh, he was just... trying to throw a pick. Yeah, and uh, our buddy uh, Ted Wynn, uh at FB Film Analysis that does the athletic coverage was like, man, Jimmy G just wants to throw a pick six so bad. (laughs) And it's not like he didn't try. Like he tried over and over again to really give the Packers an extra couple of possessions. And look, conditions were terrible. Nobody was catching the ball well, but he was not a reason that the 49ers advanced. I was looking in particular for a stat because I saw this earlier. This is um, from uh, PFF George. He uh, He's a huge Niners fan, by the way. And he is, he's been banging the Trey Lance drum the entire season. He's been begging for Trey Lance to get in. 
And uh, he posted this. Uh, Jimmy G in his last four games has 10 turnover worthy plays. Turnover worthy plays either means like you fumble or, you know, you, you, uh, even like picks that aren't picks, like if it should have been caught, like a dropped pick, like they count that as like a turnover worthy play. So they charted 10 turnover worthy plays, two big time throws, and three wins. Like I can't remember the last time I saw a quarterback that had five times as many potential turnovers as quote unquote big time throws. It means like, you know, a big throw, tight window, you know, high level of difficulty, like that kind of throw massive EPA swing, that kind of stuff to have five times as many potential turnovers as big time throws. Josh Allen might have two big time throws every drive at this point, And you still win three of those, of those four games. Like that's again, I don't want to call him lucky, but damn, I don't remember the last time I saw a quarterback get away with that much. He's the outlier. I, I posted today that look at the four teams that are left. Of the four teams that are left, three of them are built on offense. Three of them are built to win shootouts. That's what, you know, McVay and the Rams went out and got Stafford for. It's absolutely how the Bengals assembled their offense and their, you know, five really good options on offense. Casey, enough said. The 49ers have an offense, which is largely running through Debo. Debo got hurt in this game. He got hit in the side and limped to the sideline, and you could collectively hear the gasp of 49ers Nation because this offense with no Debo is done. Like, Jimmy G at quarterback, there's not another answer. He has been the thing the dynamo that's been stirring this offense and he went out limped to the bench looked pretty hurt for a while he did come back in and play again but the 49ers are the outlier they're getting it done with great defense like we said huge special teams plays and quite frankly surviving their quarterback play whereas stafford last second throw down the middle to get him in field goal range uh you know Obviously, Mahomes, we don't need to talk about that. Joe Burrow getting the <laughs> hell pounded out of him and still overcoming a one seed at home by continually making plays. Like the 49ers are the outlier to this model, which is three teams built to boat race who also have defenses that are playing surprisingly well in terms of the Bengals and certainly the Chiefs in the second half of the season look we know the Rams have pushed all the chips into the middle of the table. They went and got Von Miller. They've got Floyd. They've got Donald. They've got all the guys, Jalen Ramsey, you name it. But strangely enough, they got three of their biggest plays from a special team backup safety on the day. Look, their defenses are playing pretty well. Niners defense wired up their offense. Surviving, I think, at best, they are they are the thing that sticks out in this remaining four. Well, what's interesting about it is the one team that their inconsistent offense seems to not matter in because they will win a hundred percent of the time regardless is against the Rams. I don't think, uh, I don't think Sean McVay has beat Kyle Shanahan in over three years at this point. I think, I think we're going on six straight now. For, uh, for this 49ers versus Rams rivalry, and now they are facing each other 
in the NFC Championship game, so we might as well talk about that one. Going back and watching the last time these two teams played, 49ers were down 17-0. Jimmy threw two picks. It was rough. <laughs> and yet, they came back. It was, again, one of those like late... You know, second half collapses that the Rams narrowly avoided this week against the Bucks. Same thing happened in that game, and the 49ers just kept plugging, and you know their their yards after catch threats just kept making plays. Uh, Debo had a, a passing TD because he's Debo. He had because he's Debo because he's Debo. He had eight carries uh, for like five and a half yards of carry and a touchdown. He had. Another four catches for 95 yards. He did everything. It was the Debo show. You know, Ayuk doing Ayuk things because Brandon Ayuk, I think, is a fantastic player. He had a 100-yard game in that one, too. Very few corners, by the way, can cover Brandon Ayuk. He just does not get the targets that I think a receiver of his caliber should get. You put him with, say, Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes, and he'd fucking blow the doors off of a lot of people but uh you know he he did his thing in that game and you know just got endless first down after first down after first down um it's weird like they didn't even really have to use Kittle like he had he was more of like an underneath threat that would just kind of pull linebackers out of the way for Debo and Ayuk behind him it was a how do I how do I say this diplomatically wasn't a great game from Jimmy more of a great game from the players around Jimmy. And the rest of that team is so crazy talented that, again, just like we saw this week, regardless of how many times Jimmy either throws a pick or almost throws a pick or takes a bad sack or whatever, the defensive line is amazing. The linebackers are rangy. The, the secondary is super disciplined. The the skill position players are great. The offensive line, a little bit inconsistent when they're banged up. But again, you got Trent Williams, who's arguably the best player in football this year. The team is so, so good that they can still beat the Rams in spite of Jimmy. And so I'm not discounting them. I know it sounds like we were talking shit at the 49ers. I'm not discounting them against the Rams this week because the Rams, for whatever reason, cannot beat these dudes. They just can't do it. So I think it's anybody's ballgame this week. Like, I don't know what the spread is, but I don't feel comfortable betting it either way because, quite frankly, whenever the 49ers play the Rams, the Rams just melt. They can't handle it. Yeah, they're two teams that are extremely familiar. Obviously, they're in the same division. They play each other a couple of times a year, but it's more than that. There is there's some history both Coaching staffs have been stable for the last two, three years. They, these are teams that are hyper familiar with each other. And it's going to come down to those other plays. And I'm with you on paper, Rams all day long, right? If you're just looking at personnel, Rams all day long. In reality, 0 0 ball game at the start could never be truer. Like they have a legitimate chance to win. I will say this, if the 49ers win, how psyched is are the Chiefs if they beat the Bengals? I don't think they're psyched at all because you don't they, think? Know what, you know, they know what Nick Bosa can do. They know what they Fred do, Warner can do. They barely survived him in the last Super Bowl. <laughs> I understand that, but I think they're happier than if they have to face the Rams, just from a matchup perspective. We'll talk about that a little bit, but look, the 49ers have 
a lot of horsepower. You talked about it. We need to talk about their safeties, like Jimmy Ward and Jaquiski Tart. Like those guys have been playing very well down the stretch. Armstead had a huge sack. Armstead's a freak. We talk about his other line mate at Oregon, DeForest Buckner, all the time with the Colts. Like Armstead on that sack on Sunday, guys that size should not move that quick. Like they should not have that quicks. Uh, and he has all of them. And they can make life really hard for the Rams, especially if they're still experiencing some of those injury issues on the offensive line. Flip side, 49ers are pretty banged up. Jimmy's thumb is hanging on by a string. Debo got rocked, and that was, again, a sort of gasp-inducing moment because he is the driver, the dynamo, the first option on this offense. Uh, Kittle limped to the sideline. Might have just been cold. He's tough as hell, but he's had some injury issues. Trent Williams was hobbled, had his ankle wrapped in this one. That's the one that worried me. Yeah, there's a lot of their key players that are beat up. And look, it's a long season. We talk about attrition. We talk about the the danger of a true 18-game season. You, you can't stay healthy. Nobody's healthy at this point. But some of the 49ers key players, quarterback, their all-world left tackle, their all-world tight end, their all-world everything. Debo is a verb now. He just Deboed, right? <laughs> because he runs the ball, he catches the ball, he throws the ball. Like, he's got everything going on. That was a little bit Bull Durham there, wasn't it? Um, <laughs> but, like, they're banged up, and that's rough. Do I discount them? Not at this point, because they do have the Rams number, and the Rams seem to be able to establish a great lead and then not keep their foot on the gas. And I think if the Rams are going to win this one, they have to try and boat race them. I mean, full throttle, WFO, foot to the floor. We're just going to try and score as many points as we can every possession because Jimmy's offense probably can't produce like that. And we just have to try and outrun them. If they sort of throttle down in the second half with the lead and say, oh, we're going to sort of play ball controller, like that's that's the 49ers game right there. Don't do that. Rams just have to pin it and and try and outrun them for the quarter mile. They just need to stop turning the ball over. Well, they if they turn <laughs> the ball over as many times as they did against Tampa, it's over. I mean, even in, even in the last time they played against the Rams, like part part of the reason or the 49ers, excuse me. Uh part of the reason why you know that game was so hard on them even though they had a 17 nothing lead, Stafford threw two picks. Like they cannot keep turning when they turn the ball over, shit goes south for them. Yep. Quick. Like really quick. For, I I don't I don't have the numbers in front of me in terms of like number of points given up off of turnovers, but I bet they'd rank near the top because it seems to, they just completely fall apart. It's almost like uh, so you know we talked about how like Kansas City is like a vibes based team. When the vibes are good, they're good. When the Rams turn the ball over for whatever reason, it turns their whole vibe sour. They play like shit. For like the following five minutes after, yeah, you know, no, and it comes in bunches for them. I would agree that like one leads to two. Like yes. when you throw, when you see Stafford throw one, especially a bad one, like the ones that are contested or or got knocked up in the air or whatever, like the, the fluky ones, not so much. But like he misreads the safety, 
coming on shallow cross. He doesn't see him and he throws it right in his chest. Like another one's coming within the next 10 minutes of game time. Like it is going to happen. So it's odd that way, but almost not odd, somewhat predictable at that point. I mean, we saw it in the Titans game. We saw it in the 49ers game. We saw a bunch of games this year in the middle where he threw two or three. Right. And I actually said two or three weeks ago on the podcast, like Stafford has to be stop being a turnover slot machine. Like he cannot play that way and expect him to win, especially not in the playoffs against a good team banged up or not. Let's talk about Bengals chiefs. Cause we, we did kind of allude to it earlier. Um, again, I do not think that the Bengals are second class citizens in the AFC. They've already beat the chiefs before that being said, it's a very hard to reproduce result because when you look at how they beat the Chiefs, it was a lot of fades down the right boundary where they would get one-on-ones with Jamar or one-on-ones with T. Higgins. I have to imagine the Chiefs are going into this game and knowing like, hey, okay, Ward and Fenton can't cover Jamar Chase. They're going to get posted up. So we're going to play cover two. We're going to have a deep half safety there every single time. We're going to play one double if we really need to on third down. And we're just not going to let Jamar Chase be one-on-one. Like, that's their goal is just don't let him be one-on-one. Let the corners play trail and sag underneath with a safety over the top and make Joe Burrow beat them with something other than a nine route down the boundary. Because guess what? A nine route down the boundary is something you can take three steps, plant, and throw where your offensive line is taking a little bit out of the equation. If you make him take three steps, plant, read it, see the safeties over there, and then he has to turn back to the backside dig, he's already hit. Their offensive line isn't good enough. So for me, it's take Jamar Chase away and make him go from one to two because that's enough time for him to go from one to two where I think Chris Jones is getting a sack. Just speed up the clock. Take away that first option. It really doesn't even have to be just chase. Like, take away whatever the first option on the play is because they can't block them long enough to get to two and three. And more often than not, they're probably going to get home. That's at least, I, I know it sounds like a very simplistic game plan, but like, we're just looking at talent versus talent here. They can't block Frank Clark or Chris Jones or all those guys. We talked about it earlier. Just take away the first option, unlike last time where they didn't take away the first option. And they'll probably be a lot more successful. There's one thing I want to see before I sort of definitively put my foot in the ground about this game. And it's the injury status report on Taron Matthew. Yeah, the concussion was a big deal for yep. sure. Taron yeah. Matthew with a concussion. And if you look <laughs> if you look at Josh Allen's passing chart, uh, I think it was Kay Adams that said, look, there's a Taron Matthew-sized hole in the middle of that thing where all <laughs> these throws are going. And if he has that option, guys like Boyd and even Mixon on a Texas route are going to be able to be the quick second option. Like he can look at that three steps and say, are they bracketing Jamar? Are they doubling Jamar straight up? Like, and if they are, he can look towards that inside option. And look, Nick Bolton was on fire coming forward in this game. Like he was a terror coming forward you give me nick bolton against boyd 
mixing in space. Yeah, it's when Bolton even, has to go backwards that's the even, issue. <laughs> even maybe Uzama, I would call that a draw, but the other two I would call it a clear win. And we've talked about it. Burr will find that option, especially short over the middle. And Matthew is the guy that would make that very dangerous or just totally untenable. If he's not there, they're going to have to do something else because their corners are not as good as the Bengal wide receivers. Not even close. Their defensive line is way better than the Bengals' offensive line, but their corners are not even close to as good as Chase or Higgins. And they know that, so they're going to have to shade their safety coverage, certainly to Jamar's side first, but a couple big throws to Higgins on, again, that aforementioned nine route down the sideline, and they're going to have to shift up. And then it doesn't matter if you shift on that wide receiver bias or balance because if Matthew's not there in the middle, you can go to Uzama, you can go to Boyd, you can go to Mixon on that little nice little angle route, Texas route, whatever you want to call it. Like, if he has that option open to him, that's a quick throw coming off, oh, they're covered. And I don't care which receiver he goes to on the outside or tries to. That's going to be a big difference because, again, it allows him to get the ball out quick, and we know he's going to have to do that because Melvin Ingram, Clark, Jones, you name it, even Jerron Reed can create that pressure. So he's going to need that quick option. And if he's got it without one of the premier sort of everything middle space defenders in the NFL, their chances to come out with a W go up a little bit. I think the one the one thing the Bengals can do here, because one of the Chiefs' favorite coverages is they start out in a single high look, and you know Daniel Sorensen's kind of hanging around the box, and Matthew's in the slot, and then all of a sudden Sorensen bails to get to a deep half, and Matthew goes to the deep middle. They basically play Tampa two coverage, but yep. you have Matthew as the basically playing the same role as like Brian Erlacher, mm-hmm. you know, with that kind of range where he he's the middle dropper. If you can get them into that coverage, or rather if you know they're going to be running that coverage against a certain look, and you kind of use Jamar Chase as your sacrificial lamb, you go into like a three-by-one look, Jamar Chase is isolated, you know the safety's going to be expanding because they fucking have to at this point. They (laughs) cannot leave him one-on-one or he's going to beat him. So you know that safety's expanding that way, Matthew's going to be playing the deep middle, and then you got Daniel Sorensen in the deep half. Well, how that coverage functions is if you can overload with three threats. Again, we're talking about a three-by-one here. Number three to the inside is just running Matthew to the other side of the field. And then you've got Daniel Sorensen kind of trying to midpoint T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd deep down the field. There's money to be made there. Good luck. <laughs> Good money. I mean, they got him almost the same way uh, last time, except it was Jamar Chase, uh, and he just ran right by him. You know, they they basically gave a little bit of bait to the corner to come down and trap it, and then Sorensen was like, okay, okay, I'm just going to try to run with Jamar Chase here. Didn't work out very well. I don't think they're going to fall for that again, so you're going to have to do it with T. Higgins, but T. Higgins is great too. If they're going to get a big play, I think that's how they're going to do it, is they're going to try to pick on Daniel Sorensen and overload him with two threats and make him choose. Again, I'm not saying it's guaranteed, but if it was me, that's what I would at least try. Because if there's one guy that I can pick on in that defense, it's Daniel Sorensen. Well, the other one I really want to see, I mean, I 100% agree that if if I'm drawing that up on Cincinnati's offense, I want as many of those 
choice routes for Sorensen as I can generate. The other one is on quote unquote obvious rundowns. I want to, I want to get Mixon out on wheel routes against Bolton. If you can get mm-hmm. Mixon against Bolton matched up, I'll take Mixon nine times out of ten down the field in the pass route. And Mixon not a great receiver, but absolutely a functional one and faster than Bolton, faster and quicker. So I like that matchup, and I'm not going to go to it five or ten times like that's not that's not what i'm talking about i'm gonna go to it three or four times when i've set it up with something else and i want to get mixing on a wheel right i want to see if bolton can hang with mixing and the answer is he can't not for <laughs> not for more than a second or two and that's going to be really close territory to chris jones just eating burrow but again, if he can spin out, generate a little bit of time, Mixon's going to be free down the field against Bolton. If you can get him in obvious runs downs, rundowns and then really go to a pass, I'd like to see it. It's going to be a fascinating game. Of course. Again, not ruling out the Bengals at all because they have Joe Burrow and they have all those weapons. It just comes down to how's the offensive line play? Like That is the entire game. How does the offensive line play? If they play even average... Honestly, Bengals might win this thing. If they play like themselves, yeah. I don't know. Might get and a if, the, bit rough. if the Bengals fail to counterpunch at Arrowhead, it's over. We we saw Arrowhead in full throat uh, on Sunday night. And if, you know, Mahomes and offense go down and score as expected, and, you know, the Bengals come back and get a field goal, and Mahomes and the offense go down and score as expected... <laughs> And it's 14 to three and the Bengals come back and they, you know, put together six or seven plays, but just barely get across half field and have to punt or try a long field goal and miss or whatever. And then KC comes back and scores again. Even if it's a field goal at that point, you're up 20 to three in Arrowhead with it just absolutely rocking, looking at a trip to the Super Bowl on the line. Good luck. Yeah, not not loving that. That place is hard to hear yourself think when it's going off. Well, we're almost two hours into this thing, which I didn't think we could go two hours talking about six games, but it's bootleg, so here we are. We totally uh, can. <laughs> we totally can. We didn't even get to talk about uh, your little your, your little Bears fan heart being warmed by by the Packers losing, but it more so than the Packers losing because look, that's a great day, but the memes. Like oh, the, the Twitter was incredible. The vitriol from <laughs> all corners of the Twitterverse, like. I was honestly, even as a diehard Bears fan, as a guy that respects Aaron Rodgers' talent but tires of getting whooped twice a year and all the other BS that goes along with that experience, I was honestly shocked at like how many people came out to dunk on Aaron Rodgers and for how long. Like it has been, it has been continuing. There was hundreds of memes from all corners of the internet. Like I was shocked at the deluge of really glad that guy lost. And I'm like, okay. Like people had it saved up for months, man. I'm telling you. Yeah. The Brady outpouring was like this big compared to that. And look, the fact that Brady and Rogers deal with the devil, both expired within 24 hours is fascinating 
content but like people dunked on brady like a little people dunked on rogers like a lot <laughs> i think it's i think it's because people knew that it wasn't brady's fault they knew that he would have won that game if the defense didn't blow it <laughs> whereas rogers i mean he just objectively did not have a good game like no nope. can't really say it was his fault uh but anyway why don't we get out of here again two hours deep on six games is uh no small feat for us but um thank you to the entire bootleg hall of fame marat consti Fitz, all of you guys, thank you for uh, for another continued month of support as our executive producers. Really, really appreciate it. And we will be uh, next recording from Vegas, I think, right? I think our next episode is going to be from our Airbnb in Vegas, from the Shrine Bowl, uh, most likely after, uh, after Saturday practice, doing some Shrine Bowl practice recap. Then we got conference championship games and another practice the next day, and then two more practices, and then senior bowl practices and then shrine bowl game and then senior bowl game and then we got super bowl previews that we're doing i think from from a special location if i remember correctly so yep a lot, lot of shit coming a lot of shit coming uh thank you everybody for listening and watching uh go subscribe to the bootleg football clips channel because we're gonna have more more stuff not just from these shows but uh you know exclusive clips over on that channel as well like new content that we're making just for that so uh yeah can't wait Love you all, and uh, see you in a few days. Take care. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader, too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.